Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here checking in on this Thursday. And um, if you've been watching the news, of course, you've seen that the death toll continues to rise in Israel, uh, that uh, Hamas and uh, their allies are ginning up and ginning up, I guess, against uh, the U.S. and Israel's allies. And just to see that the um, it's, it's just interesting just to see what the uh, how the death toll is being reported, um, how the different sides are rallying around this. And today here on the program, we're basically going to devote the entire 90 minutes of the bottom line show to having a conversation about this and the greater conversation about good versus evil. What makes this conversation so um, interesting here? is the fact that a lot of times we can look at a situation like someone wins an election or there's a change in the economy, something like that. And then we take a look back, take a step back and say, yeah, but the bigger picture is, and for many of us as Christians, let's be honest, the bigger picture is Jesus won the war against sin and death and hell and ultimately is coming back to reclaim his bride and we all get to be in heaven with him. And, and you know, whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, no-trib, whatever, um, we all have a, a role to play and we can just pray Maranatha or Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And it's really easy to, uh, for us as Christians to kind of skip past all the tough stuff and look at what the end game and the end result is. And that is good news. It's very comforting to know that the war against sin and death and hell has been won by Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the battles that we're dealing with right now, the battles are very real, and they have some very serious consequences. And uh, today on the program, Ken Ham is going to join me. He has written um, a book that has, uh, I think, greater implication today than when he wrote it back in June. The book is called Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a copy or two of the book that we'll be giving away today. If you want to call in and get in on, in on that, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, here at the Bottom Line Show, we look at Israel and say, well, obviously Jerusalem plays a huge part in end times prophecy. And of course, with Jesus returning to rule and reign there. So we look at Israel and say, yes, this is the place that God wants. I mean, we're instructed in the Psalms to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's really kind of a no-brainer for us as Christians. And yet there are many Christians who do struggle with the fact that there are people in the Palestinian component um, who are also people who are of the Christian faith. And they unfortunately kind of get lost in the shuffle because of the fact that they don't have a homeland per se. There's never actually been a Palestine. Uh, there's a Palestinian region, but there's never really been a Palestine. And there are a lot of young Palestinians who are looking at Gaza, for example, and saying, if it weren't for Israel and all their oppressive nonsense, we could just have a peaceful homeland, and why can't we have this you know, two-state solution? If you look at Israel geographically, right now you can see that the Israel that was ordained, if you will, by the United Nations in 1948, that Israel is much smaller than the Israel we see in the Bible. And that Israel has been carved up even further with uh, what happened in 2005 with the, uh, uh, the giving up, basically surrendering of uh, Gaza to the Palestinian component. But it's interesting because they established a government there. They basically effectively voted in a group of terrorists, Hamas, to, um, some will say, uh, they have connections to terror groups. No, Hamas is a terrorist organization. 
for, fortunately, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken even went so far as to say, look, what we are dealing with here is a group, remember ISIS? Well, Hamas is in that same category. I mean, Boko Haram, or, uh, I mean, Boko Haram, uh, ISIS, uh, Al-Qaeda, I mean, and Hamas and Hezbollah, they're all terrorist groups. And for those who would say, yeah, but Hamas is a political party in the Palestinian area, uh-uh, no. I mean, this is very much an issue of um, more than just a quote-unquote elected government. I wanted to bring to your attention a couple of articles that came across uh, earlier today just in perusing the news, trying to find, you know, analysis, balance, and clarity, looking at Fox News and CNN and MSNBC and the Daily Signal, which is a production of the Heritage Foundation. Uh, found a couple of articles that are worth noting. One, because it's an, an opinion piece from the Palestinian perspective in CNN. Uh, CNN posted it. And then something else with regard to um, something that has been called for by Hamas tomorrow uh, that was published by the Heritage Foundation's Daily Signal. I want to read the uh, that one first. And I won't be able to get through it all in the limited time that we have here. But basically, the short version is, on Tuesday, Hamas has issued what they call a Declaration of General Mobilization. Uh, here's what it said. A call to our Palestinian people, the masses of the Arab and Islamic world, and free people worldwide. Remember, there are 2 billion Muslims worldwide. Uh, this is from Middle East Research Institute translation. We declare that next Friday, they issued this on Tuesday, next Friday being tomorrow, Friday the 13th of October, is the Friday of Al-Asqa flood as a day of general mobilization in our Arab and Islamic world and among the free people of the world. In other words, Muslims living abroad. The statement refers to the Al-Asqa mosque in the old city of Jerusalem near the western wall of the second Jewish temple. It's a site of regular tensions between Jews and Muslims. Remember that when we think about the western wall, uh, that's often a place where you see Israel is a place where Jews and Muslims and Christians are basically are trying to live together, and it's not working out very well. We call upon our rebellious youth throughout the West Bank in its cities, villages, and uprising camps, in the streets and neighborhoods of Jerusalem, and at the squares of the blessed Al-Ask Mosque to rise up, join massive demonstrations, and shake the ground beneath the feet of the Zionist invaders and their settler gangs. Now, understanding that this is Israel. This is the land that God has chosen for his people. This is land that even the United Nations recognized back in 1948 as let's reorganize and recognize Israel as a nation. And yet to the terrorists, this is their land and the Israelis are the Zionist invaders and their settler gangs. Engaged with their soldiers and cowardly army in every place, affirming the unity of destiny and the path towards Jerusalem and Alaska, liberating them from the defilement of Zionist occupation. No inflammatory rhetoric there. According to Robert Greenway, who's the director of the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation, uh, he said this is basically, it's an unambiguous global call to arms. It will be heated and there will be blood. Now, the question, of course, is where will the bloodshed take place? The IDF, the Israel, uh, Israel Defense Forces, uh, reportedly have gained control over the border of the Gaza Strip again. That was 72 hours after the terrorists blew through sections of the barrier and launched the invasion early Saturday, by the way, which we should point out is during uh, Jewish Holy Day, the Sabbath. They attacked Israel on the last day of the festival of Sukkot, 
um, as well as the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. I mean, they're very intentional when you look at this and say, well, come on, maybe this is just a little American rhetoric, Friday the 13th, and they're going to plan this attack. I mean, that that's, no, I don't think so. Well, guess what? Everything they did for the initial attack was very carefully calculated to let the Jews know, we know how Jewish you're trying to be, and we're coming after you. By the way, there were uh, at least 1,200 Israelis that had been killed. 250 were at a music festival when this happened. Uh, More than 100, I've seen the total as high as 150, have been kidnapped. And the U.S. State Department confirmed as of yesterday that at least 22 Americans died in this attack as well. Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hecht is the IDF international spokesman. He said they didn't just go for military targets. They went for civilians. They went for grandmothers, for children, for babies. The numbers here are unprecedented. Uh, The style of attack here is barbaric in a way, and you've heard this phrase used many times this week. uh, This is their 9-11. He added that this is... um, They were shooting civilians at bus stops, on roads and cars, et cetera, et cetera. And there were some journalists that were given access by Hamas to show the wreckage and the carnage. Some soldiers actually found babies who had been beheaded. Uh, Now, Israeli forces have launched their airstrikes into Gaza, of course. I mean, they are preparing to go full scale. And President Netanyahu has also declared, I believe this Friday, tomorrow, as a day of aggression saying we're going to go after it. So I want to encourage us now to just take a moment and pray. But we're going to continue to talk about this throughout the course of the hour. And the fact that this Friday Al-Ask flood is, uh, there's definitely some military implications here, but there's some spiritual implications as well. Heavenly Father, we just pray for your peace. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your justice too. We, We see the nation of Israel and your chosen people being attacked constantly. And yet the spin we see from the left uh, makes it sound as though Israel are the aggressors. We also know too that your chosen people are not walking with you right now, that as many as 90% of people who identify as Jewish in Israel are also atheist and culturally Jewish, but they don't have a spiritual component. Father, we, we know that you're a God of justice and you're a holy God and that you will never lose faith in your people. You will never break covenant, though you do allow for the opportunity uh, for your children to be um, uh, corrected as need be. Father, we pray for your mercy for the people of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for those on both sides, and especially for our Christian brothers and sisters who live in Israel, those who identify as Palestinian, Uh, We pray for their safety, and we pray that in the midst of all this terror and horror that the gospel would be proclaimed. We ask all these things in the precious and uh, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's interesting because uh, one, uh, there's a uh, a full, uh, we'll put the whole announcement here of this day of bloodshed up at thebottomlineshow.com. There's a guy by the name of Brother Rahid who uh, gave his analysis of the speech. Uh, He did this on Twitter. Uh, which is now called X. And he said, here's what I predict. I predict possible terrorist attacks on Friday the 13th in European countries 
and in the U.S. against Jewish targets and also American targets. So we should be watching for synagogues around here and just rank-and-file Americans. He said, number two, I also predict protests in Muslim countries and in Western countries led by Islamists showing rage by acts of violence and destruction. That's already happening here in the U.S., not bloodshed, but you've got pro-Palestinian groups on college campuses and even Black Lives Matter saying that they stand with Palestinians. Number three, this expert also predicts possible attacks against Americans and Jews in Muslim countries. I would think that that would be more likely than the other. And then um, finally he says, I also predict that no one will show up at the borders of Israel to carry out jihad. Um, that's uh, Israel's already beaten back Hezbollah once, and it looks like that they will continue to do so. But as we think about the world that we're living in right now and these strategic times that God has placed us in, it is kind of cool <laughs> to be there. But at the same time, it is, it's really just kind of maddening. And Ken Ham, the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, uh, Answers in Genesis Ministry, has written a book that I know when this book was published, it came out this summer, um, that certainly was not the intent that it would be uh, the perfect antidote for what's happening in Israel right now, especially for Christians around the world, but especially in the Middle East. And um, as we continue, Ken's going to join me to have a conversation about his brand new book. It's called Divine Dilemma. And this is where a lot of people lose faith in God, or they say there's no way God could exist. How could God be a loving God in a fallen world like this? How do we wrestle with that question of what that looks like? Why is there so much suffering in the world today, even for Christians? Ken's going to use some personal stories that he does in the book about how these experiences show that a loving God can be trusted and even uh, your faith can be well-placed in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Ken Ham talks about the divine dilemma and wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into an issue of a divine dilemma and ask a question like, why are there so many problems in the world when we have a loving God with whom we serve, who we believe made us and created the heavens and the earth and did so for not only his own pleasure, but our benefit. Joining me today on the program once again is Ken Ham. Uh, Ken Ham, if you're watching on myhopenow.com, you're getting a beautiful background view of the Creation Museum and uh, the, the 
beautiful landscaping that's there. You'll see people on the grounds as well. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation and Museum, and the Ark Encounter as well, which is definitely well worth seeing if you get a chance to go see it before the Lord returns. I don't know why I just feel like he's going to be back sooner than later. The brand new book by Ken Ham is called Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Ken Ham, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thanks, Roger. Great to be with you. Let's take a look at this from the perspective of you can go to any worship service on any given Saturday or Sunday, and you'll hear the prayer requests. And the prayer requests are many, and they're very passionate, and you hear people going through all sorts of painful tragedies, this, that, and the other thing. It's tough enough for people outside the church to go, well, God couldn't certainly be a loving God because there's all this pain and suffering. But then inside the church, you have to ask the question, why is that? How can we in the body of Christ do a better job of explaining loving God fallen world? Well, it's a really good question, Roger, and that's what this book is all about. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Pro it's probably one of the most asked questions really down through the ages. And I mean, C.S. Lewis uh, attempted to deal with that, for instance, and many others. How, how can we as Christians talk about a loving God and yet look at the horrible world we live in from a perspective of death, disease? We see people who we would call great Christian people who suffer terribly from some horrible disease. And, right. and how, how could that be? And, you know, it's, it's interesting. The first thing I want to say is this. Look, a lot of Christians ask things the wrong way. They ask questions the wrong way. They'll say, well, how can you fit dinosaurs with the Bible? And my answer is you don't. You've got to understand the Bible is a revelation from God who knows everything, who's given us the key elements that we need the key elements of history to build the right way of thinking called a, a Christian worldview so we can correctly interpret the evidence of the present. It's the same with the death and suffering issue. People often say, well, look at this world of death and suffering. How does that fit with a loving God? And of course, atheists will say that. Uh, and, and of course, this totally inconsistent because how can they determine something's right, wrong, good, evil, just, unjust, if they don't have an absolute basis for it? That's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother right. issue. But a lot of Christians will say, you know, how, how can you look at this? You look at this person's suffering. How do you fit that with a loving God? First thing we have to say is wrong question. First question we have, we have to really deal with is why is the world the way it is? Hmm. And God mm -hmm. has told us that. He's told us it in Genesis. And one of the reasons I think a lot of people struggle with this issue, and it's not just this issue, it's every other issue, because most churches haven't taught Genesis 1 to 11 as literal history. Right, right. Uh, most of them have either ignored it or compromised it with evolution millions of years or say it doesn't matter. Genesis 1 to 11 is actually the foundation for everything. If you want to deal with any issue, you name the issue, fossils, age of earth, you know, different people groups around the world, death and suffering, marriage, gender, it doesn't matter what the issue is. You've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11. So all that to say, this is my little short introduction to this, <laughs> all that to say, if you're going to deal with this issue of death, suffering and disease, we have to start from Genesis 1 to 11, where we have the origin of death. We have the origin of sin. And because of man's sin in Adam, death was a consequence. Adam, if you eat of, you eat of this one tree, you will surely die. Adam ate of the one tree. That's called sin. That's where sin comes from. It's rebellion. Now you will die. And Romans 5 tells us, by one man sin of the world and death by sin, and so death comes upon all men. And so we're all descendants of Adam. We're all sinners. Uh, and therefore, 
we're all under the judgment of death. And so when you think about it, uh, all human beings uh, are under the death penalty uh, <laughs> because of our sin. So when somebody says, why would God let that person die? Wrong question. Question should be, why does everyone die? Right. Because you can't just single out a person because all are going to die. You know, it's like uh, in the Bible, in Luke, the Tower of Siloam uh, that fell on people and killed 18 of them. And Jesus asked a question. Right? He asked a similar question before that, but he asked it again in, in the context here of the Tower of Siloam and said, those 18, were they worse sinners than others that they would die? You know, why did they die? And then his answer was interesting. Repent. You say, wait a minute, that's the answer? Repent? Yes. In other words, Jesus was saying, that's their turn to die. A reminder that every one of you is going to die. Make sure you understand death is a penalty for sin, but God provided a way back to be with God. Sin separates us from our creator. And the only way we can come back is through the one who said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he'll, he'll be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, by trusting Christ for salvation. Mm -hmm. And so the answer to the death and suffering issue is make sure you're ready because you are going to die. One day you will. hate to tell you that, Roger, but you will. <laughs> I will. Yeah, yes. um, everyone we know will, unless Jesus comes back before that time. Right, right. Um, and uh, death is the penalty for sin. So the very first thing we, we need to understand is it's it, death and suffering is a consequence of our sin. And we are not above the consequences. We, we have to suffer the consequences of our sin in Adam. But God sent his son to rescue us from what we did. And because of our sin, we'd be eternally separated from God in a second death. The Bible says eternal separation from God. But he doesn't want that for us. He wants us to spend eternity with him. So all that to say, the answer's in Genesis. That's the name of our ministry. Mm -hmm. You've yeah. got to start with Genesis 1 to 11. You have to understand the origin of sin, the origin of death. And actually, it's interesting. Um, here's a different way of thinking about it. You know, in, in the book I wrote, I, I deal with the, uh, the fact that my mother had to deal with the death of my father at 66. She lived she was, she, uh, for 26 more years without mm. him. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, she passed away just before her 92nd birthday. And then I had a younger brother who was a great Bible teaching pastor, had a, had a young family, and he died over two year period of a dehumanizing horrible brain disease hmm. and my mother had to go through that as well and i wrote this book from a very personal perspective yeah dealing with how did we cope with a real a real example in our own lives real examples of of tragedy and so on and how do you deal with this and you know um my mother would even ask the questions you know she was a godly woman and she trusted god she never ever questioned her faith but she would say, I don't understand. Why does God allow this? Why would this happen to my, my son? What about the liberal pastor down the street that that's as healthy as an ox? Right. Why does this happen to him? And we would talk about it, but mom, it happens to everyone. And now, um, you know, my brother, Robert, he's healed because he's totally Amen. healed because he's with the Lord. And that's why the scripture says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one death of his saints. saints. Why is death precious? because you go back to be with our creator, because death separates us. When we feel that separation from a loved one, when you go to a funeral and, and, and you feel that, that horrible separation, then uh, you, you should be reminded of how much greater that separation is between us and our God. And when we die, for those who are Christians, we go back to be with him. So it is precious.
Precious indeed, and a very heartfelt uh, plea from Ken Ham today here on The Bottom Line uh, regarding this brand new book called Divine Dilemma, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. If you've ever asked yourself the question, why is there so much suffering today, even for members of the body of Christ? Well, shake hands with the rest of us, and we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into some of these questions uh, that a lot of people are asking, and and especially when we move into the painfulness of the world, but understanding the perfectness of our relationship with the Lord. Again, Ken Ham from the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, is with me today here on The Bottom Line, Answers in Genesis Ministry. The book is called Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Ken Ham is my guest, and we're talking about his brand new book called Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, but two copies of this book we're giving away today. Would love to place one in your hands. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I received a, an email a couple weeks ago from Don Crawford Jr., our station manager here. Of course, you hear his father's uh, stand testimonies uh, every day, and, and people just love those commentaries. But Don sent me a note from the New York Post about a guy by the name of Tim Wakefield. Now, Tim Wakefield was a knuckleballing pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, and I don't know if he pitched on other teams as well, but I just remember him pitching for the Sox. He's now 57 years of age, and the New York Post reported that uh, it was Kurt Schilling, a former Red Sox teammate of his, had a podcast where he was talking about um, asking for prayer for Tim and his wife. Tim's wife was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and Tim Wakefield was diagnosed with brain cancer, 57 years old. And we were just shaking our heads. Don and I were in the in the email exchange going back and forth about how sad this is and how challenging a season it must be for the Wakefield family. There's no question about the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world and the reason we have disease and death and things like that is just because that's where we live. But isn't it good to know the God of the universe will work all things together for our good? And even the momentary light affliction of suffering and death here in this life can't compare with the joy of eternal glory with the Lord. Keep the Wakefield family in your prayers, if you would. And uh, remember that as you hear the conclusion of my conversation with Ken Ham on the other side of this break. We're talking about Divine Dilemma, which is his new book, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of that discussion with Ken Ham next as the bottom line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. 
That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Ken Ham is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. If you're listening with us on our Bottom Line Show radio network or a podcast, if you're watching along with us at myhopenow.com, his brand new book is called Divine Dilemma, Wrestling with the Question of a Loving God in a Fallen World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you have been experiencing a season of suffering or pain and you're trying to make sense of it, this is a great resource to do so. And and uh, Ken, uh, during the break, we were talking about the fact that there are a couple of key passages in Scripture, especially that people will cling to during times of trouble, maybe Romans 8, you know, uh, all things work together for good, or maybe just the entire book of Job, you know, in terms of suffering and everything. Are we reading Job wrong? I mean, in terms of this poor guy, all these horrible things happen to him, and at the end, he gets it all back with interest? Well, you know, uh, even leading into talking about Job, that Romans 8 verse that a lot of people quote, you know, all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. We've got to remember mm, that. Good point. But all things work together for good. And when you look at Job, I mean, a lot of people look at Job and say, well, Job went through all this horrible tragedy and suffering in his life, personal suffering, and, you know, loses his, his children, all his property. Then he had, you know, horrible disease and so on. And of course, we get a little glimpse that, you know, Job didn't know behind the scenes what had happened there, where the, the devil had to come to God and and uh, God let him uh, be able to do things to, to Job as a, as a test, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, you know, he wasn't allowed to kill Job, but he was allowed to go so far. It's a reminder that, you know, the devil is not in control of all these things. God's in control. He's the one that's totally in control. But then, you know, his friends offered him all sorts of advice. So a lot of it was bad advice. Uh, even his wife uh, offered him bad advice. And then it gets to the stage where Job himself wants to justify himself before God. You know, I've, I've, been, a, I've been a good person. I've, I, I, you know, and what I've done and so on. And, you know, there's a lot of people like that today. You know, I, I've, I've gone to church and I've tithed mm -hmm. and I've done all yeah. this. And yet, you know, I worked in the church and now I got you know, this horrible disease or whatever it is. And then, you know, God says, Job, Job, listen to this, Job. And then God, if, if you look at Job chapter 38, 39, 40, 41, and then into 42, and Job is asked a lot of questions by God. And a lot of it concerns creation, by the way, because mm -hmm. all the way through scripture, what's the difference between our God and all the other gods, all the other gods, small g, you know, our God, big G is the creator. That's the difference. He made all things, right? And so, Job, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this? Do you know that? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Do you know about uh, these stars and how they hold together? Do you know this, Job? And you know that? And does a lightning speak to you to tell you where it is? And so, and it, it goes through all this. And then Job gets the point because Job says at the end there in Job 42, basically, he falls down in dust and ashes and repents and says, I repent in dust and ashes. Now I see you. What, what mm. does he see? You know all things. I know nothing compared to what you know. And, you know, that's where we've really got to get to. And, and I don't want people to misunderstand here. You know, um, I think sometimes some of these books, even Christian books dealing with this issue are sort of like, well, you know, you're a Christian, suck it up, you know, God's in control. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and sort of that makes it feel like you're less than spiritual because you're grieving, you, you, you're questioning. And as I say in that book, well, you know, we questioned, we questioned 
God. My mother did, you know, struggled with it. I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense uh, to us as human beings. But but even with all of that, and it's okay to grieve. And I, you know, we're only human. It's okay to ask those questions. And I say that in the book. We're we're only human. We're, you know, we're fallible creatures. But we still have to get to that point that Job got to of saying, but nonetheless. We have to let God be God. And he knows everything. We know nothing compared to what he knows. Is it possible he knows things we don't that could totally change our understanding of all these things and why these things happen? And in the end, anyway, every one of us is going to die. And the most important thing is that we know Christ. That's yeah. the most important thing. And that's the bottom line. And that's what it really comes down to. Well, that's great counsel from Ken Ham today here on The Bottom Line. He is the author of the brand new book called Divine Dilemma, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. And we have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break in our opening segment, uh, Ken, you mentioned something about your brother, Robert, and the fact that he had received his healing. And I know there are a lot of people uh, who would look at what you said and say, wait a minute, he died. You know, I mean, that there we had this horrible two-year experience and then he died. He, How did he receive healing? He's not here anymore. Talk about what you mean by that, because there are a lot of people who are tied up in knots right now saying, okay, I love God, but I've been praying for my dad to be cured of cancer or my mom to, you know, whatever it was, dementia, and they're not getting the healing. All they're getting is a lot of frustration. You know, when we read about, um, when we read about from the scriptures, what it means to be with God in heaven I mean, is there death in heaven? Is there disease? Is there suffering in heaven? Uh, think about what it tells us about the restoration. One day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. No more death, no more disease, no more suffering. Death is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And so we are totally healed in that we leave this sin-cursed body and then we're with the Lord and we're with the Lord for eternity, where there'll be no more death. We live forever and ever and ever uh, it, 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 outside of uh, this uh, sin-cursed uh, universe, outside this sin-cursed world. And, you know, my, my father always taught us, um, heaven is where God is and sin is not. <laughs> and mm. so the consequences <laughs> of sin are not yeah. there. And so... Uh, that's what we can look forward to. We can look forward to that eternity, that eternal rest uh, in Christ and uh, know that we don't have to go through all this, these struggles of, of this world because of our sin. How can we as believers impart this wisdom to other people in our sphere of influence, especially people who have not yet come to faith? Because I would imagine that this is a tough enough concept for a Bible study to kind of wrap their arms around. Uh, but then when you've got, you know, the the component of people say, well, see, your God didn't heal. So therefore, it's a fairy tale. Uh, how, how do you respond to that question? You know, this is where we have to understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's God's word that convicts. It's God's word that sharpens the two-edged sword. And and sometimes I think um, for a lot of Christians, we sort of try to deal with the issue from the top down instead of the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And as I say to people, look, I, even those, those who are not Christians, I say, look, I am a Christian. I actually believe this book called the Bible is the word of God who created all things. And he's told us who we are and where we came from and what our problem is and what the solution is. And that's where my thinking comes from. And I want to share with you what this world's all about, because it explains why we live in a world of death and life, of joy and sorrow, of hate and love. How can we live in such a contradictory world? It's only the Bible that explains that. And 
you've really got to make sure that you start from God's word and you have to start in Genesis, even if they're not Christians, because you say to them, this is where my thinking comes from. I want you to understand this claims to be the word of God. I can't prove it to you, but God uh, can show it to you. And, and, you know, you might have all sorts of questions about God's word. And I, I want to answer those. And, you know, does science di disprove the Bible? And how, how do you know it's the word of God? You could talk about how God's word explains the world we live in, in, in many different ways, and how observational science confirms that. And you can deal with archaeology, you could talk about prophecy, and so on. You, you make sure you have some apologetics answers, but you have to start from God's word to build the big picture of thinking about it all, or they won't understand it. Ken Ham is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Divine Dilemma is the name of the book, Wrestling with the Questions of a Loving God in a Fallen World. Highly recommend it. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're living in some rather interesting and very strategic times where many people, you know, I, for all my life thinking about, I don't don't know what it was like. I couldn't really imagine what it was like to for the Lord to, you know, de depart from me, I never knew you, you know, to people who, you know, were saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out, you know, did we do this for you? Didn't we do that for you? But it really does seem like we're living in that time right now where there's even a little bit of sniping, if you will, from people who profess faith in Christ and then people who sincerely have faith in Christ. And that's got to be kind of a head scratch for a lot of people. As we are, conclude our conversation together, Kim, I mean, obviously you've received your, your I don't want to say your fair share of criticism, you've received a lot of it for the positions that you have, but you always respond with love and grace. How can we as Christians kind of follow the example that, who is that example for you in your life that, I mean, I would imagine this was as much taught as caught. Yeah, well, first of all, number one, the example is God's word. And you look at First Peter three fifteen. He says, "Always be prepared uh, to give an, an answer for the faith that is in you with meekness and mm -hmm. and gentleness." Uh, so the scripture says that. And you know, my, my parents always taught me a soft answer turns away wrath. So always speak to people in love, but be bold. You know, you don't yes. want to not be bold or courageous, and you've got to be forthright. And uh, sometimes people get very upset with that because, you know, and I find atheists get really upset with that too. And so do some Christians because, you know, when I say, look, I believe God's word, I believe God's word in Genesis, he created everything in six days. When, you, when you're bold like that, I find a lot of people mistake that for saying, you're saying, if I don't believe exactly what you believe, I'm not mm. a Christian. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not saying that. And, and, and I think it's, you know, when we look in the New Testament, uh, what did it say about Jesus? They were astonished at his teaching because he thought as one taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. So we have to learn to speak authoritatively, boldly, courageously, unashamedly, contending for the faith, but do it with gentleness and meekness. But but don't back off on on the boldness of it. Uh, so we 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 need to make sure that uh, we're not just on the offensive but not being offensive oh, <laughs> using that word in a different way in a different there, way no that's a great way be, be be on the offensive without being offensive and you'll the weapons of spiritual warfare will never fail you uh, ken ham from the ark encounter and the creation museum answers in genesis ministry we've got all that linked up at the bottomlineshow.com the book is called divine dilemma wrestling with the questions of a loving god in a fallen world and we are grateful and uh, privileged to recommend this book uh, ken ham always a pleasure thanks for being with us today here on the bottom line hey thank you anytime well, Ken Ham's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have at least one copy of this book that we're giving away today here. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the title of Ken Ham's new book is so timely and topical for today. Divine Dilemma, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. And if you see how far the world has fallen, even just in the past week, with the attacks by Hamas against Israelis and Israel fighting back to defend themselves and the spin in the Western media um, of, uh, you know, how, how this is actually playing out. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, for those who are just joining us or just tuned in for this uh, final segment of my conversation with Ken Ham, talking about the whole network here, I want to do a summary recap of this day of blood uprising that has been called for by uh, terrorists in the Middle East and also give kind of a pro-Palestinian opinion, not that I share it, but as to why so many people in the U.S., especially in the millennial generation, are actually in favor of Hamas taking back what they think has been stolen from them by Israel. We'll set that record straight coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Ken Ham of the Answers in Genesis Ministry, the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, and the author of a great book, a very personal one for him, called Divine Dilemma, wrestling with the question of a loving God in a fallen world. But boy, I'll tell you, when you see what's happening in Israel right now, um, it's a uh, it's definitely something to think about that there are a lot of people who have turned away from God, especially the 90% of Israelis who identify as being Jewish but atheist. And as my friend and colleague Barack Lurie explained to me when he was going through his season as an atheist, he said there are many Jews who see the political side and the spiritual side as two different entities. And while he was in college, he said he never stopped being Jewish, but he was an atheist. And now he's written a lot about extensively about uh, uh, why atheism doesn't work. And uh, he's kind of fully integrated the physical and the spiritual part of his lives together. A lot of Jewish people have that experience. And so uh, when you see what's happening in Israel right now, there are people who are clinging to their homeland saying, this is me. But at the same time, they don't have a relationship with God. So our prayer is twofold. We're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, where there's violence and bloodshed going on right now because a group of misdirected Palestinians think that they are being robbed of their homeland by Israel. And then secondly, the fact that many Israelis are there saying, well, we are God's chosen people, but we don't uh, acknowledge that Messiah has in fact come, number one. And number two, we don't even really believe in God anymore. Uh, There's been a call. I was sharing this earlier in the hour, if you're just tuning in. Uh, There's been a call Uh, on uh, an article that we've got from the Daily Signal, which is part of the Heritage Foundation, which we put up at thebottomlineshow.com, that is basically calling for a declaration. Hamas has issued a declaration of general mobilization. They actually did this on Tuesday. They issued the declaration that tomorrow, Friday the 13th of October, would be uh, what they call the Friday of the Al-Aqsa Flood. And that's because of the Al-Aqsa is that that's the mosque that's in Jerusalem near the Western Wall. And basically, they want it to be a general mobilization of the Arab and Islamic world and among the free people of the world as well. And so, of course, we're anticipating that there would be massive uh, Hamas uprising in that region. But then throughout all the different, you know, Turkey, Syria, the different Iran uh, theocracies, the Muslim theocracies that are there. But then going beyond that to saying, look, this they're saying if you're a Muslim, you should be uprised. You should be you should be fighting this. And, you know, it's interesting because 
for many people who, especially progressive Christians, who will say, this is all about peace. We just need to get people to get together and hang out. Uh, I noticed a post from a pastor friend of mine who uh, posed a, you know, just a nice little, we need to pray for peace. And he had a picture of uh, two kids, uh, one wearing the Star of David and one wearing the Crescent. And they were on either sides of barbed wire looking at each other and, you know, trying to boil it down to, look, we're just people and we just want a place to live and, and we don't want all the bloodshed, not realizing they don't get to make that decision. I mean, the decision here is this is the, the minions of the enemy against the, the people of God. This is God saying, look, Jerusalem's mine. The Israelis are mine. Even if they're in rebellion, they're still mine and I made a covenant with them. So you can play nice and namby-pamby all you want to. That doesn't matter. That's not important. And, and that's why I found it very interesting. Uh, we need to be praying for peace, obviously, but keeping an eye out for tomorrow. You might, uh, if you're near a college campus or a mosque or whatever, you may find some people who take the Quran seriously, death to the infidel. If you're a Christian, you're an enemy of, of uh, the Muslim community who might say, we're going to wreak some havoc. I came across this piece, though. It's an op-ed piece at CNN. At least they had the decency to identify this as opinion. A guy by the name of Omar Garib, who is a Muslim writer in uh, the Gaza Strip. He's a millennial. Uh, he identifies himself as a storyteller, a humanitarian worker, and a journalist. And uh, he's on, he tweets an X, and he's um, also expresses an opinion piece. And in the opinion piece, he says, look, in Gaza, we've all been glued to the news for the last five days, watching in disbelief as airstrikes and counterstrikes have been exchanged and the death counts on both sides of the border mounts. While every round of violence sounds differently, they all end the same way here. Palestinians paying a heavy price. We live in perpetual anticipation of tragic ending. Now, it's interesting, he says, I write because writing is a lifeline and a temporary escape from reality. But the, the reality is, I mean, we've been under what he calls a suffocating blockade for more than 15 years. We live in what some call the world's largest open air prison. And then he says that he talks about what I see in the Western media, erasing Israel's occupation, its blockade and our suffering bears no resemblance to what I see out my window. Outside, a sense of uneasy anticipation and anxiety permeates the atmosphere as people in Gaza ponder our uncertain future. We try to predict how much further this all will unravel. We compare the contents of our emergency kits, diligently prepared to ensure our readiness for evacuations from the massive violence Israel is unleashing upon us on top of its directive to cut off food and water. Now, can I stop for just a moment there? That may be a, a reality for him. No question about it. No one is denying, I mean, there are death counts on both sides. There are more Israeli deaths than Palestinian. But the idea that all this poor young man sees is we're just trying to exist and Israel keeps beating us up. He has absolutely no knowledge of the fact that Hamas is the one who ran the border, that Hamas is the one that launched the airstrikes, that Hamas and Syria and ostensibly Russia were behind the cyber hack that made it impossible for Israel to defend itself from the attack in the first place. And that everything that is happening there is not all Israel's fault. But this guy, I mean, he's obviously intelligent and articulate, and he is of the opinion that everything that's happening right there is Israel's fault. And then he says, uh, I wonder if I should keep quiet as I've been conditioned to do, to bury my fears and anxiety between the layers of internal and external oppression that have cascaded throughout my lifetime and for decades before it. The world ignores our plight and denies our humanity. That's not true. 
the world does see your plight and recognizes your humanity and we think it's reprehensible that a terrorist group uses you and babies and older women as human shields to try to attack Israel to take from Israel what does belong to Israel. So then he writes, the bias and selective outrage of Western governments isn't new. They've never seen or cared about us as we have suffered under Israel's occupation, violence and discrimination year after year, decade after decade. During every escalation of violence, U.S. media reveal their bias toward Israel, largely omitting Palestinian voices from the equation. And then he finally ends and says, I yearn for the world to see us, to hear us, to acknowledge our humanity and our right to live in freedom and safety like everyone else. Is there still space for raw humanity and aching hearts amid conversations about power dynamics and political victories? If there was, we would have been free long ago. Oh, Omar, I'm praying for you, brother. I really am. I really am because you've been so deceived as to what's really going on. You see the pain and suffering, and all you've been told is that Israel's the bad guy. On the other side of this break, final thought, and we'll gear up for this week's National Crawford Roundtable podcast. This week, of course, we're talking about Israel. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby once conceived in the womb is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms, but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. It's really easy to remember. 833-850-BABY or if you want to do the numbers, it's 833-850-2229. Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. Uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We've been uh, reflecting on this call for the Friday Day of Blood by Muslim extremists and even sharing some of the uh, viewpoints of uh, one in particular from a young journalist, uh, 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 a Palestinian living in Gaza, who only sees and only, I mean, it's amazing to see how filtered his view is, and yet he purports to be a voice of reason. We just want to live, and why are they so mean to us? Brothers and sisters, analysis, balance, and clarity leading to discernment, edification, and fruitfulness has never been more important now than, than it is right now. And I urge you to be in prayer for our nation, for our communities, for people who identify as Christian, like us, who could potentially be in the crosshairs tomorrow with this day of bloodshed. But please be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, which ultimately will bring about God's kingdom and return and rule and reign. Uh, study the scriptures, look to Jesus, look up when all the world is looking around at all the pain and the suffering there is. That is good news indeed. And that's the bottom line.
For our KCBC audience, it's time for Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus. Hopefully get an update from him. He and his wife are in Israel right now. For those who remain on the network, as I mentioned, uh, it's time for this week's National Crawford Roundtable podcast, Talking About Israel. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.